0: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. When Irish writer and journalist Miriam Mulcahy lost her mother, father, and sister over the course of seven years, she found the sea was the place to escape to. So much so that she decided to write a book about how the sea made her keep moving forward in her life. Miriam is here to tell us all about her new book, This Is My Sea. Miriam, good morning. Good morning, Anton. Your own phrase that I think you used was that death. Stalked you over a period of about seven seven years.
1: Seven years, absolutely. It felt like that. It was it was relentless, Anton. Like uh, dad died, mom died a few, few years later. Then Aisling announced she was sick, then she died. And there was Ashley being your sister. Ashley is my sister. Yeah. There was a feeling of not being able to recover from one death before the next one came at us, and that that was that was extremely hard. What caused the deaths? Uh, my dad was heart. Uh, he had a heart attack. Uh, he didn't die from the heart attack. He ended up having surgery. And he died about three months later. And that was really shocking to us because, you know, when you get the bypass and you've had all the treatment, you think the person's going to be fine. Um, my mum had uh, cancer, it was lung cancer, and my sister had breast cancer. So um mum's was particularly swift. It was 11 weeks between her diagnosis and her death. So extremely shocking to us.
0: And how long was the duration from your father's death? Four to your, years. To your that to your yeah, mother's diagnosis was, yeah. was four exactly years. Exactly four years. Yeah. So she herself would only have been coming to terms with the grief well, at that stage, I assume.
1: Absolutely, she was kind of getting back to her life. My my mom was was an extraordinary woman. She was kind of uh, she she kind of decided earlier on what kind of widow she was going to be, and um, she travelled. Uh, she was a very independent person. She kept up her music. And um, my mom w- was. Uh, she played the flute, the guitar, the piano, and she did exams all those years after, you know, I think I think music was a kind of a lifeline for her. But she did a lot of travel in those years as well and uh, kept her independence and kept kept her strength. She, she was an inspiration to us all. How did she come to the diagnosis? What do you mean, Anton? How did she find out she had the cancer? Um, well, she was in a lot of pain that summer. And uh, she obviously went to her doctor and then she ended up in a hospital with a blood clot and then they found out that uh, she had widespread cancer.
0: And then Ashling, your sister, whatever about the loss of parents, because to some extent we are all, there is an expectation that we will all have to deal with well, that absolutely. at some stage. Yeah. Your sister was 41.
1: Yeah, and she was only 38 when she was diagnosed, which was very, very tough. And Ashling was uh, the most vivid um full-of-life person I have ever met. She was just great fun, great great crack. Her friends all absolutely adored her. And um, it was just very cruel that, you know, such a full-of-life person got such a devastating cancer. It was very, very hard. And And it was breast cancer? Triple negative breast cancer, uh, which is a particularly aggressive form. And it's called triple negative because it means that the main chemotherapy drugs that are targeted at breast cancer don't actually work on it. So it has quite poor survival rate. Do you remember her telling you? Absolutely I do I'll never forget that phone call She was in the States Uh, It was Mother's Day Uh, It was my first Mother's Day without mum and I had had a particularly tough day and then I was kind of just sitting down and finally had got all the kids to bed and I was sitting down beside the fire and Ash rang me I will never forget that phone call how do you
0: go on from something like that? I mean, whatever about the the, the phone call, from the point at which you realise that three of the people in the world to whom you are closest are gone in that relatively short period of time, what impact does it have on you?
1: I think it flattens you, Anton. And I think there is, uh, one of the reasons I wrote the book was to try and use uh, the experience, it was to process the experience, what happened to me, but I kind of in the processing and the writing, I realised I was starting to develop something which could help other people. Because, you know, I, I looked for books after Dad Died, Mom Died, Ash Died. And a lot of the books, like Joan Didion, The Year of Magical Thinking, that's 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 about her husband and her daughter. I couldn't find a book that would express uh, so much family loss. And... Uh, um, it, it, there 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 is a feeling with the grief and the death that uh, you have moved to a different world, a parallel world. And everybody who's not been through what you've been through is existing in this kind of shiny, happy world. And you're living in this very different one. But the same things are expected of you. You have to go to work. You, you know, work doesn't care three or four days after the funeral that you've suffered this loss and you're expected to just turn up and be normal. Uh, your kids need you um you know your dog needs you whatever responsibilities you've got they don't go away
0: and and even if you achieved the, the uh, living a bit of normality it often comes with a sense of guilt there's a sense that i shouldn't be being happy
1: i wouldn't say that well that maybe for other people anton i never felt that i felt the opposite i felt um because people who were so full of life and loved life so much had died and were gone to me, I felt the opposite. I, feel, I felt a responsibility to live as hard as I could, to love as much as I could, to achieve the things I wanted to achieve. Like, I've always talked about writing. I've been a journalist for years and uh, after Mom died, I, I kind of embarked on this frenzy of writing. I, I wrote uh, four books in eight years and... Um, you know, obviously manuscripts, they, they weren't published, but uh, it, there was there was this determination to do the things I wanted to do and a, a realisation of how fragile and precious life is. And we can't sit around moping. My parents would actually kill me if I did. They would come back from the grave and slap me around the head. Uh, you know, we were kind of a happy, optimistic type family and there was this need to kind of keep, keep that going and to honour them. By doing the things we want to do, and uh, that's very much stitched into the book, you know, is that you must kind of, I think, a way to deal with grief: go back to the things you love. Did you did you did you love playing the piano as a child? Did you, did you love art? That can be a lifeline. Go, finding those things that really, really are the core of who you are, and going back to those things and explain that will
0: help. then the role of the sea and swimming
1: we grew up ra- around um, the sea and beaches. Okay, we lived in Kildare, but we had a caravan in Wexford and we, we were taken out of school at the end of June and it was two months on the campsite. You didn't go near Kildare for those two months and we were just on the beach every day. My parents were both swimmers, they loved it. Dad grew up in Clontarf, mom grew up in Bray. So the sea was very much how how they were raised and they passed that on to us. Uh, an absolute love of the sea. Like my, my, my sister Maeve is a complete mermaid. Uh, my brother Ross is fantastic as well. Um, they're both great swimmers, and uh, it's 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 kind of something we have to do. There is like a need um, to swim, like when we're all in Kerry, when we're spending time down there. Like you'd have several swims a day. You wouldn't just swim once. You'd be in the sea as often as you could, and you swim every single day. Um,
0: but the m- the way that you describe it, though, it, it is it is almost meditative. It's more than a physical activity. It is somewhere that you go in your head as well as physically.
1: Well, it is. Um I suppose like I'm I, like I'm I'm a complete pagan. I I don't believe in God or anything like that. But to me, the, the converse is that is that to me, being in the sea and swimming is nearly like a spiritual experience. And. uh it, it uh, does something to me. It's it's it, it it kind of fills me up again. You know, um, there is a there is a connection to the sea um, that I get when I'm in there. That is very very deep and profound. And I kind and a connection of, to your mum, your dad. Absolutely. I mean, where we swim this little beach in Kerry that that we go to is where it was where they swam every day. And there's a real feeling when you're in the water that they are there with you. That this is where they went when they died. And that we kind of reconnect with them in a way when we're in the water. So it's, it's a beautiful thing.
0: Are you envious of those who do have a spiritual belief when you look at your own loss? Not so. Not
1: do you not so. think it is
0: easier if you believe in an afterlife, if you believe you'll see them again?
1: No, I think, I th- I think, I think the opposite, Anton. Like, um, uh, uh, when, when I was 18, I, I discovered um, existentialism and the works of Camus through studies in college. And the whole kind of theory of existentialism is that there is just one, this one life. Uh, to live it as well and 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 as completely as you can, and that's kind of my my religion. And that's like asking, I suppose, a Buddhist, you know, do you wish you were a Catholic or, you know, uh, that's just the way I am. And I, I'm not I'm not envious because uh, I look at other people who have their own beliefs, and if that sustains them, great. But uh, no, I just certainly don't feel the lack uh, the the lack sorry of uh, belief in the afterlife as something that sustains me. Um, Books sustains me. Art uh, is is a huge thing for me. Um, like whenever I'm down, I go to the National Gallery if, if ever I feel I need a bit of a boost. And that's like my church. You know, I just walk through the rooms of the National Gallery. There's a painting in the gallery that uh, my grandfather bought and my parents sold uh, to the National Gallery after his death. And I love standing in front of that painting. And uh, um, I'm kind of brought brought back to the house of my mother's childhood, and looking at that painting as as I was a child, and uh, no, no, look, I th- I think there's there's wonderful things in life, and if you kind of focus too much in the afterlife, you lose sight of what is here now, like nature and the power of that.
0: You talked about throwing yourself into writing and the generation of the the uh, four books in an eight year period. The writing of this book. Mm-hmm. You obviously get into very difficult memories, very difficult episodes in mm-hmm. your own life.
1: Was it cathartic? Was it painful to write? It was both, Anton. It started, the whole genesis of the book was basically, um, I suppose, like like, like many writers, you'd, you'd keep a document on your laptop that's just a personal thing and you're throwing in thoughts and ideas and it's, it's kind of like a journal, you know. And I started that after mom died and then it kind of got to... 10,000 words, 15,000 words. And I said, Jesus, maybe there's something in this. Maybe it's more than a journal. And uh, I uh, found a book um, called Gift from the Sea by Anne Morrow Lindbergh, which was published in the 1950s. I found it in a secondhand bookshop this tiny little book, of five chapters, about women and life and motherhood and marriage. And she encapsulated so much wisdom in a little nonfiction book. And that kind of became the model for mine that I said, gosh, you know, I could write about death in the way she writes about, you know, relationships and motherhood. And uh, it, was, it was very painful. I did, I did two huge rewrites on this book uh, last year because it was a mess, Anton. Like, when you're working at something for 10 years, you know, there's too much, The stuff that needs to be cut, but you're enmeshed in it and you can't see what needs to go. And Deirdre Nolan, who's the publisher uh, of Aru Books, um, could see there was something in it, but she kept refusing me. And then last year I went back and I cut it savagely. I... And um, printed the whole book out, put it on my kitchen floor, a very big kitchen, and I walked over the book for a week. And it was amazing. I literally walked over like, you know, a couple of hundred pages, and it was amazing to be able to see that needs to go and more of that, and really that should be over there. And it was the sense of starting to move things around, chopping and changing. So I ended up and I copied and pasted and cell taped it all together and ended up literally, literally, literally started physically cutting up pages, putting that's chapter one, that's chapter eight. And I ended up with a stack beside my laptop of this like hundreds of pages, if you can imagine, sellotaped, written on, highlighted, you know, more here, less there. And I took those mess of hundreds of pages and I typed the whole thing out again. And that's where it finally worked. Because as you know, if you have to type 60,000 words, you're saying... Well, every word is to count. Every word is to, you have to weigh every single word if you're going to type that out fresh again. And it was in the retyping, not the rewriting. It was like a retyping out of the whole thing. It brought a freshness to it, a cohesiveness to it that had been lost over the years.
0: But it also must have brought you repeatedly through the most well, difficult experiences of your life. It was, dreadful. It was life.
1: dreadful, Anton. Like, there were days last December and I was writing about my dad dying, writing about his funeral. And I, 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 I spent days on my laptop just crying my eyes out You know, wrung out that feeling of just being absolutely wrung out all over again. But um, it really, really worked. I I, I suppose the other thing I brought to the book was I I kept saying, okay, I'm a features journalist. You know, um, I haven't done current affairs, I haven't haven't done, you know, war zones or anything like that or kind of foreign correspondence. But that's the kind of stuff that I love reading about myself. And I thought, okay, you're a journalist and you can literally act like a reporter, death is your front line grief is your trenches and just go and report back. And it was literally about putting myself in that space of what does death look like? What does grief look like? And literally just trying to kind of step back from it and that that kind of coolness of I'm going to report back and tell people how bad this is. As if you're in a war zone.
0: Did the exercise help you? Have you benefited from it?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Like there is... As I say in the book, there there is this kind of misconception that we get over grief. I don't think we ever get over it. It will stay with you. If you loved the people that you've lost, that will stay with you for the rest of your life. But it's learning to live with it. And it's learning that, you know, you will always carry it around with you. But um, it will become easier to carry maybe as a burden and it becomes lighter over the years. But there are days when something dreadful happens, when you you might hear news about somebody else who's sick or somebody you know who's dying, and then you are flung straight back into that place. And it's the unexpected nature of grief. that You know, you could be going along, you could be having a great week, and then all of a sudden, bam, you're back again. You're back in that awful place that you thought you had escaped. I think that's very common with a lot of grieving people. And it's very hard to articulate that that to the people around you, to the people you work with, to the people you live with. You know, I'm having a really bad day. I'm very fragile today. You know, and there's a lot to be said for the tradition, I think, of you know, um, in Ireland, people used to wear black diamonds on their arm when they were mourning. There was actually like we think of the black band, but somebody told me she, she she remembers her grandmother wearing a black diamond on the sleeve of her coat. And it, you know, to kind of say to people, God, you know, look, I'm 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 mourning. I could be a bit fragile, could be a bit delicate. Maybe we need to Just kind of bring back carefully. that sense of minding people when they're grieving.
0: The book is called This Is My Sea. The author is Miriam Mulcahy, and it is, of course, available now. Miriam, thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Anton. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.